This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Are you making memes during the show? Steven, (laughs) collect yourself. You're not even using a good font. What is that? I'm sorry. God. Times New Roman. Times New Roman. Roman. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm making a meme for Glenn Beck. <laughs> oh, wait, wait no, 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 no. Reverse, reverse. It's not Times New no, Roman. No, no, no. It's bad. I was wrong. I was wrong. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast based in the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Tirso. And I'm Steven. And tonight, we pick up our paintbrushes and set up our canvas as we dive deep into political propaganda. We had the privilege of getting an early glimpse into Pablo Hidalgo's book titled Star Wars Propaganda, which will be released on October 25th, 2016. Later, we'll be hearing from persuasive art expert Brittany Hunter as we dive deeper into the topic of propaganda. But before we get to that, Stephen, what's been going on in the world of Star Wars? Jim, whatever I do, to protect you. So you understand? I understand. Save the rebellion. Save the dream. I loved the new Rogue One trailer. We started doing this show. It was around when Rogue One was becoming a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we both were really reluctant to be excited about this movie. And uh, they've pretty sufficiently won over everybody. Um, there's still a certain air of caution with some people concerning all of the reshoots and the changes that have been going on. And there's just this lingering fear that it could end up being chaotic, but everything we're seeing in this trailer looks amazing and it looks like Star Wars. And even in a way that Episode Seven did not. And we see more than ever the hope of the Rogue One movie and that it is a rebellion built on hope and a movie built on hope. And just to cite one specific moment, when Jenny Urso says that line about hope and Chirrut smiles and hits his, his stick on the ground, like, we're all that guy. We're all like, yes, this is what Star Wars is about. It's conquering the Empire. It's hopeful. It's happy. And it's a band of misfits who are likely spiraling towards their demise, but they're going to change the galaxy for the better. I'm just so happy about this movie now, even though I know it's going to be a little dark. So if you had one takeaway from the trailer, what would it be? So we know now the background of Galen Erso. I always thought, based on everything that we've that Maz Nicholson have said so far, that he was going to be an Imperial working and that Jin Erso, my impression was that she was an estranged daughter rebelling against her Imperial father who was working on the Death Star project. But now we know that it's much more of a Soviet scientist, you know, abduction situation where he has discovered something powerful and beautiful and the empire has gone to him and they're conscripting him into service um, to build the Death Star 
you know, or else. And it's it's likely an abduction situation, and he is going and leaving his daughter behind because he has no real choice. That's what I'm taking away from it. So she's a girl who loves her father, and she probably wants to save him. Um, and the rebels come to her with information about her father, who she probably hasn't seen in 10 years. And there's an opportunity to save him. So it's, it's probably to her, it's much more anchored in saving her father uh, than it is just doing the mission and getting the plans. I think there's going to be a little bit more of a dynamic there than we thought before. What was your takeaway from the trailer? For me, it was simple. Um, I really, I, I just loved the feeling of it. It felt like they were, like you said, taking on the Empire. The aesthetic visuals that they used in the trailer and that they'll obviously be using throughout <laughs> the movie m- made the Empire look so big, like that shot where the ATST was firing mm. into that group of people. They were really struggling to take the fight back against the Empire, and that's what I want from this movie. I want to see mm. the the gritty, in-depth struggle against the Empire from, from one faction to, to another. Altogether, my final thought is that I, I see the way that they're beginning to expand the Star Wars universe, and as we'll later discuss with the new propaganda book, that we're starting to see just the reaches of the universe start to stretch further and further and starting to get glimpses into what each era has to bring in terms of our own entertainment, being able to see movies and books and things like that. Before we get on to the main topic today, we did want to actually have a little bit of a welcome for possible new listeners. Beltway Banthas has only been around for a short 15 episodes, but in that time, we've had the privilege and the opportunity to grow. One of those being the privilege of being on the RetroZap network. Now, Stephen, if someone was new listening to the show and they and they have never heard of Beltway Banthas, what are some past episodes that you would say would be key for understanding our vision and getting an idea of what we like to talk about. So obviously there's the pilot. We don't talk about politics of Star Wars in that episode, but we really give our vision and our our statement of what we want this show to be. And I think that that statement is held up. But, you know, for people who are just getting into this show, it is about the politics of Star Wars and how it relates to us in the real world and why there are so many connections between the ways that we interact with other people um, in how we how we've learned our interactions and the way that we view the world from Star Wars, it has given us views and worldviews that we might not have normally had. Um, a lot of our episodes are evergreen. You won't go back and find any of that. There are a couple that are timely um, to certain issues, like when the Orlando nightclub shooting happened. You know, a little bit of the episode is about that. So I recommend. Episode 11, the Make Star Wars Great Again, featuring Riley Blanton from the Star Wars Report. Uh, We were joined by Riley to talk about nostalgia in Star Wars, why The Force Awakens is an exercise in nostalgia, and how nostalgia has basically taken over this election. And you see those echoes mostly in the Trump campaign, but it also comes up on the other side of the aisle as well. We're always looking to the past Uh, And that is prevalent in Star Wars. It's also prevalent in politics. Another one that really jumps out to me is something that you could always take something away from is episode seven. It's called I Love Democracy. And it is about the fragility of democracy as described by Star Wars. Um, we, We know from Star Wars that democracy is something that is fleeting and can be uh, turned into something dark. Um, So we were joined by David Barnes, uh, an analyst at Generation Opportunity, um, to talk about Plato and Plato's writings in ancient Greece on democracy's foundings and what he thought were the shortcomings of it and the risks of democracy. Um, And so we kind of make those ties between 
today's culture, Star Wars, and also uh, philosophy. And those those are two episodes I really recommend you check out, not to mention we have an interview series as well where we interview uh, politicians, newsmakers, and folks who are in politics about their Star Wars fandom. Those have submitted some really fascinating conversations ranging from pollsters to NPR um, to elected officials in North Carolina, and we have some coming up in U.S. Congress very soon. So yeah, I would absolutely agree with Stephen. Definitely check out the interview series. Uh, Stephen's worked very hard to get these different guests and talk with him about fandom and different issues. And and we've enjoyed doing each and every one and look forward to doing each and every one in the future. Um, so for new listeners, welcome. And we hope that you enjoy the show. And for longtime listeners, we just want to thank you guys for your support following us on Twitter, retweeting, whatever whatever it is. We appreciate you guys and the fact yes. that you guys take the time weekly or bi-weekly to listen in on what we have to say. We thank you guys. So without further ado, we're going to take the time to dive into our topic for today. So for today's episode, we'll be taking the time to dive into propaganda in Star Wars, which has been depicted in Pablo Hidalgo's new book, Star Wars Propaganda. And as per usual, with unreleased or unvisited content, we're going to throw up the spoiler alert. We're going to be talking about the book, which comes out this weekend, October 25th, and we're going to be doing it in a way that isn't necessarily spoiler-filled, but we did want to give you a glimpse into what we read and what we personally got from this book. So our hope is that this discussion will not take away, but spur your interest in picking it up yourself to see what it has to offer. Steven, take it away. Well, this was a really amazing opportunity. We were just so thrilled that HarperCollins were, uh, were willing to hook us up with this book in advance. And it is just truly fascinating. It takes you on a journey through the Star Wars films, um, being the time period of episode one to episode seven, um, using in-universe art from those various time periods. Uh, the character in this book that is put together, the catalog of this art, is called Janor of Bith, um, and he's doing so in an effort to explain the course of galactic history of which he played a part as a republic and then imperial propagandist who was then exiled and then defected to the rebellion. He tells us in the book that art can be inspired by conflict, and then in turn inspires more conflict. And he regrets his role in that. His hope is that he's atoned for those artistic sins, more or less, by his work with the Rebellion in the New Republic. Because again, he's a guy who came up in the Republic, was very invested in Palpatine, the Clone Wars, and the cause of the Republic. And he was on board with Empire. Um, it was only after a good period of working for the Empire that he realized how dark and twisted it was. Um, so this is sort of a, a mea culpa book by this character, Janor of Bith. And all of the pieces of art in the book are by other artists. Some of, some of them are by him, but most of them are by other artists, um, which he is using to tell the story of the galaxy. And I have never felt so enriched with the context of the Star Wars story as I have now. There have been tons of books that have offered us very small windows into very certain events within the movies and, and the story, but this just gives so much rich detail that is worth combing through. And we'll talk about a little bit of it um, over the course of this episode, but there's just no way. It's just such a thick book and there's just so much to it. So what did you learn from this book about Star Wars that you feel like you didn't already know? Or what are some takeaways that you have from reading it? With particularly the Republic era, um, 
this is this is the Clone Wars era and and the Phantom Menace era. So you know, Episode One, Episode Two, and the beginnings of Episode Three. We learn a whole lot about the Trade Federation and basically the marketing campaigns that they were pushing through the galaxy at the time of the Naboo crisis. Um, they are deeply invested with the Republic. The Republic is a business partner with the Trade Federation. And the Trade Federation has a marketing problem, which is that people are very much onto their scheme. They know that they're cronies and they know that they wield too much power and influence. Now, the book shows us a piece of anti-Trade Federation propaganda, which basically shows... Um, a, an alien taking off a mask and underneath the mask is a fat, uh, plump and, and ugly Nemoidian. And it, and again, this book is in universe. And so the artist describes the controversy of that piece as being, it was racist. Um, you know, people thought it was offensive and that it was, um, harming the, the, the Nemoidian race and that it was making them look bad and that it was not fair. And so opponents of the Trade Federation dealt with a, a perception problem of if they were criticizing the Trade Federation, they had to be really careful not to make it about Nemoidians. And so you see a couple of different pieces of anti-Trade Federation art, and the conclusion that they had to come to was, we can't depict Nemoidians because then they can just criticize our art as being racist and not substantive. So when they started going after the Trade Federation and the taxation of trade routes, they had to do so using visuals that did not involve actual aliens or, or, or race of any kind. Um, that was really cool. And I'd never really thought about that. And the banking clan is, is, is another group of people who kind of go through the same sort of marketing woes. And this was perhaps my favorite part of the older public bit, which was the idea that the Republic and the Trade Federation were business partners in the settling of the Outer Rim. There's a company called Eleven Star Marketing, which is basically painting the Outer Rim territories as being um, very equivalent to how we uh, portrayed the Wild West. Well, not the Wild West, but like the Manifest Destiny thing, you know, like Go West, Young Man, and there's all this empty space out there. It is bound to be ours. It, it is supposed to be ours, and we're supposed to, to civilize it. So there was all of this art put out um, by Eleven Star Marketing being paid for by the Trade Federation. Um, to get people to go out and colonize the Outer Rim. Now, the reason is, and this is what's really cool, they want, they want more citizens out there, like the Trade Federation, so they can tax them, so that they can get more revenue for their, their organization. And the Republic is a partner in this. So to me, my cronyism alarm is going off where I'm going, oh my gosh, this is perfect. This is like, this is special interests. This is, this is money in politics. And it's almost a clearer form than we've ever seen, even in the movies. The Republic is giving a exclusive contract to 11 Star Marketing, which is a wing of the Trade Federation, um, through the Republic Ministry of Economic Development. I mean, they're, they're giving out special contracts to the Trade Federation so that they can have more tax revenue from citizens who go out to explore the Outer Rim and then are thus citizens uh, in that area and are paying taxes to the Trade Federation. So really cool. I mean, did you find anything new in, in this book that you kind of want to talk about? 
For me, I, I, I just want to preface everything with I absolutely love this book. I, I enjoyed reading the entire thing because it gave you a very clear view into the eyes of the common man of Star Wars. It, it was so clear to see how these little rules and regulations started changing and how they would represent how people felt about different laws being passed. And it was so interesting. So we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit, but they had this one piece uh, that showed uh, Jedi's holding lightsabers that, that was supposed to support the war. But it was, it was what it says in the book that it was one of the only pieces that was publicly representative of the Jedi because the Jedi themselves didn't want to put that out there. And like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but it's just so interesting to see all these different events and things that have happened chronologically in Star Wars that this book lays out in a, in a way that is from a perspective that highlights the greatness of all of it. I've actually been in the middle of reviewing the Clone Wars, so I'm kind of right in the middle uh, of all the seasons, and this just amplified the book for me, uh, especially the piece where it's diving into the earlier parts when Valorum uh, is Chancellor and up until episode three. Those parts were fantastic for me because I'm watching the little yeah. tiny, tiny details, which by the way, Clone Wars, detailed show. So this was going into the details of the details of a movie that already has plenty of details. So I was just, I was deep into my, my fandom. Um, and something I would honestly say, if you've only seen the movies and you've never been a person to read into the deep facts of Star Wars, pick up this book because it gives you such an amazing view of Star Wars. And, and I'm going to watch the prequels again after reading this because I know for a fact it's going to change my view on a lot of things in an interesting way. So you mentioned the Clone Wars. That brings me to that piece that we were talking about earlier uh, before the show of Count Dooku as evil. And it is Count Dooku on a poster with Grievous behind him and it says, evil has its eyes on you. Um, and it is drawn as Count Dooku from the Clone Wars series. And a lot of the earlier pieces are Count Dooku as we know him from the films. So it is Count Dooku with the sharp nose and the big pointy beard of Clone Wars. And it describes it in universe as being accentuated features on the art to make him look villainous from the Republic point of view. And that reminded me, the Clone Wars TV series is the Republic point of view. And that almost makes it more sensible that in Clone Wars, like Count Dooku looks as twisted as he does. You know, he's got, again, the pointy nose, pointy beard thing going on. And so then you remember that Clone Wars starts with a Republic uh, narrator every episode. It's Republic propaganda. Mm -hmm. And so this ties the image of Dooku in that show to to how he was being depicted in the Republic. Um, and a separatist would not have agreed with that depiction. Absolutely. And a lot of these pieces also do a very great job of normalizing the plot of Sidious. And it's something I wanted to touch on because if you watch the movies and you see Sidious's plot start to evolve up until the third film, you start to think, well, the Jedi are so stupid. How do they not see this? How do they not see this? The book does a great job, like I said, of viewing it through the eyes of the common man of Star Wars. So as you see these regulations and see these things changing, you're viewing Palpatine as a timid, relatable senator from Naboo that's mm -hmm. rising to power and trying his very best to 
He's reluctant. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's reluctant. It's like, <laughs> oh my goodness, I have to take these emergency powers. I'm so sorry. But in reality, it, it I was just reading this whole yeah. book with a smile on my face. It, it was absolutely amazing. Well, you mentioned the common man and, and kind of how they view things. And, and going back to the piece about the Jedi, the Jedi self-censored themselves from the war. They made a choice in the Clone Wars as laid out in some of the artistic pieces here, to not be shown on propaganda promoting the war because they wanted to maintain their image of being the peacekeepers of the galaxy. And they were at odds with this idea of being warriors for the Republic and being soldiers. And it ends up being their undoing because they censor themselves out of all of the art promoting the war where they could be shown as heroes. And it allows the separatists, who you know is also Palpatine, to paint them as villains in their art and their propaganda and paint their clone troopers on the Republic side as the heroes. The clones are the heroes of the Clone Wars. The Jedi are these people who run around with their swords and their cloaks, but they don't want to be seen or, or talk to anyone. And so that allows them to be scapegoated and destroyed when the war is over. Absolutely, and, and it it emphasizes why um, kind of in in the latter years where you get to Episode Seven and the Jedi are, seem to be a myth. That's because even in the time of the prequels, the Jedi were pretty close to the mark of being a myth <laughs> because they didn't. It's not like they made public appearances and speeches. They were generals of war. Um, it, you just don't get to see them. Another interesting thing that I wanted to touch on was. As I was reading this, and it was talking, it was showing the the pieces of art that had to do with propaganda against the Senate. I, I could, I, I just felt like the weight of everything that's going on in the world today. The there's world, this one, yeah. there's this one piece where, there's this one piece where it, it shows the the Senate building, and it says there are two thousand senators in here. None of them care about you. Yeah, and and it's absolutely amazing because. That rings true in the Star Wars universe, but as I was reading this, I was like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, they do. Oh, wait, that's Star Wars. That's not my my Senate. Yeah, and it's, it's a piece from the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Yes. They're trying to gen up support in the mid and outer rim for the idea that, um, as we know it, DC doesn't understand you, you know, <laughs> Congress doesn't get you, um, and, and it's the same sentiment, and really... I feel I feel like the conservative movement has really championed this more than any other. That DC is inept, um, the federal government can't do anything, and that you know only small and local governments are are capable of taking care of you. And so that piece drives home exactly what people feel today across the country. It is a web that we've kind of spun ourselves, and now it is starting to constrict us a little bit. This idea that DC is just inherently horrible, and they're doing the same thing to Coruscant in these pieces that are promoting the separatist movement. And in the description in these pieces about Count Dooku's role in building the separatist movement, he's a, he's a campus speaker. He is a guy who is considered an intellectual within the Republic. Uh, you know, he's a former Jedi, prestigious, and he's doing some of the pieces are campus university uh, posters. And he is going and doing a circuit of speeches to young intellectuals. And he's talking to them about self-determination, liberty, independence, and that Coruscant doesn't know what's best for the galaxy. And I'm going, 
he's a libertarian activist. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true, though. It, and it depicts him as this handsome man who has a booming voice. Yeah. He's able to speak so clearly. And I love that. It's yeah. breaking down who Dooku really was before he just shows up in episode two. And you're like, why is he here? Um, yeah. I, I love that. Uh, it also takes the time uh, in relation to the piece about the Senate. Um <laughs> It takes the time to show this other piece where the Senate actually tries, or Masamita actually, a guy that we've talked about previously on the show, tries to create this piece. And I guess you could call it like a like a total PC piece or like... It's a, he's diver- tr- it's a diversity piece. Yeah, he's, yeah. Tr- he's trying to make a political correctness statement where it's this poster. And I, and I wish we could show it to you guys, but if you pick up the book, you'll be able to see it for yourself. It's this poster depicting all these different races. You have the Gungans and you have Twi'leks and you have actually Masamita himself. Rodians. Rodians. And, yeah. Hanging out on this poster, and it actually says that it's it backfires in universe, and the media even covers it as like this scandal well, because because <laughs> diversity is more of a a hallmark of the separatist movement. The separatist movement encompasses the outer rim, and that is where a lot of species, again, such as Rodians, um, um, Wookies, and uh, Mon Calamari are. So they did a puff piece for the Republic that we're diverse too, and not just humans. And Masamita insisted that he be in the poster. And so the hollow net goes after him as being a, like an egomaniac because he put himself in the diversity poster. Hilarious. It's, it's the, it's the equivalent of, of Donald Trump trying to say that he's diverse and putting himself in a poster with two Mexicans, three French guys and a black dude and yes. saying, look how diverse I am. Exactly. And, and that, and I just, I love that, that this is, this is just a glimpse guys of why I love this book because it shows the in universe hilarity of situations like this. Like yeah. there's real political moves. It's like, okay, they made a poster about how much we don't care about them and our constituents. Let's make a poster about, how diverse we are. And then the media covers it and they're like, how, what the heck is going on? The crooked media is out to get us. (laughs) They are clearly in the tank for the separatist movement. I I love Mon Calamarians. Okay. You know what? They're in a trap. Yeah. I would say they're in a trap. The trap is the media. I have many Mon Calamarians who work for me. They all love me. (laughs) I love Wookiees. Okay. Okay. I did find it interesting how the, the book started to pick up a little bit with the propaganda during the Clone Wars era. The way that it dives into this really allows you to see the slow progression of the Republic into the Empire so that it doesn't seem so sudden. Mm -hmm. Uh, It shows the regulation of certain art that they started to come out with that was anti-Republic. Kind of, and and this was more mid-Clone Wars, closer to Episode 3 era, where people would actually have these bumper stickers, you could call them. And there's, there's actually a name for them in-universe, the stickers. Yeah, they are called chassoplasts. Chassoplasts are in-universe <laughs> bumper stickers. <laughs> so they would have things that would say, love, not laser cannons. Jedis are not, uh, not in red. Uh, the guardians of the peace of the galaxy don't believe the lies. You know, th- things like that. Um, stop throwing away lives, stop cloning. And people would put these on their speeders and it actually talks about how the Republic would start regulating and like tracking people who had that so that it didn't get too obnoxious. Well, they had Compor, um, the Commission for the Preservation of the Republic. And this is, you know, basically the, um, the, the propaganda arm and they also control a lot of, of, of 
you know, public messaging, stuff like that. Um, well, they started a Coruscant traffic division of Compor, and their job was to scan speeders going through certain areas for uh, troublesome expressions of anti-republic messaging. And so again, like <laughs> stop throwing away lives, stop cl- or stop cloning um, was a slogan put forward by the separatist movement because the separatist movement is painting itself as pro-life. Like, yes. It's actually part of their pitch to people is that the republic does not value human life. And that's why we use droids. And they tried to really draw on people's sense of disgust with cloning and biological uh, beings being churned out of factories and then slaughtered um, or sent to the slaughter. So they would, you know, happily dance on their graves with their droids, but they actually put a badge of honor on themselves for using droids and not humans. And that was part of their propaganda. So this was considered a troublesome anti-republic message if you had a uh, stop cloning bumper sticker. Yeah, and you could you could totally see the the dictator like uh, essence of the republic starting to form in, in these regulations of of these stickers and, and little things like that. You know, forming committees to be responsible to to regulate those things. Yeah. Um, and and it's actually interesting because during the Clone Wars they would have propaganda that would be, for example, showing the the clones and it would say support the boys in white. And I think that did backfire for them in the beginning as they did that. And it, it says that in the book that a lot of people, you know, they, they began to to paint these posters of the boys in red depicting them as, as soldiers of death. And it Covered really didn't blood. go, yeah. it, it really didn't go well. But as it started to transition into the Empire, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here, this is actually what set up the clones and the troopers to actually be the poster boys of the Empire and to become people that little kids were looking up to wanting to be like when they grow up. Mm. Feeding on their sense of nostalgia, as we have talked about in this show in the past, um, looking back to your childhood with um, rosy glasses, <laughs> you know, really can distort the reality that you live in today. And so there was this fascinating piece um, during the imperial period where the empire would push propaganda into the outer rim, the areas that were dominated by crime lords, and the slogan was, rise, enlist in the galactic empire. And the idea was to reach young men, uh, and I guess young women as well, young people who... Don't be sexist, Steve. (laughs) I I just assume, I just assume... Come on. It's it's the old world, me. Um, (laughs) Young people that they could overcome their circumstances in life by taking up the heroes that they remember uh, from the past, which are the boys in white, the the clone troopers. If you were a kid during the Clone Wars, a, a clone trooper is your Superman. Those people were invincible. And even though they died by the millions, they were always still coming back. And so there was almost a sense of invincibility uh, attached to clone troopers and stormtroopers were the extension of that legacy. And so if you wanted to overcome your horrible life in a crime-ridden ghetto on Campa Dunave, then becoming a stormtrooper was your ticket out and also your ticket to restore order to your community, help your family, help your community by putting on that armor and bringing the empire to your community um, so that it could uh, be prosperous once again. And, and I love the, I love the image, the, the image of a, a young, you know, smuggler boy who's just stuck 
on the the outskirts of Tatooine, and he looks up and sees this poster that says, "Join the Empire today, fight for the galaxy," and this sense of hope in his heart. Yeah. That I think that's a wonderful thing that this book displays is the sense of of hope that the Empire tries to allude to with all these these posters and, and all this propaganda it, and it makes it seem like they're really uniting the galaxy and bringing the outskirts of the galaxy <laughs> together to yeah. unite for one cause and it's a, it's a great deception I, I love these pieces of art and, and they even include uh, the rebels uh, style of art in a lot of these posters uh, you actually yeah. see a piece a, f- a few pieces I believe uh, from Sabine from the Rebels t- uh, TV show. That is a really, uh, a couple cool different ties. So Sabine has a presence in this book with her Reb- Rebellion art. And there are a couple other little nuggets from Rebels here and there if you're looking for it. Um, I will not uh, tell you what those will be. There's also a little um, a little shout out to um, our boy Ransom Casterfo yes. um, in Bloodline and a little bit of his experience growing up, if you remember from the Bloodline book. Um, that's featured in here as well. So they're, they are helping to promote a lot of the new canon and uh, new additions to the stories. Um, I like the way that they pivot in this book between classic stormtrooper look and then also the Star Wars Rebels stormtrooper look, just the difference in how the helmets are. And I don't know if you noticed this, they actually left an amazing amount of room. And I think I would, what I would call respect for ex- expanded universe because there were parts of the story, especially in the earlier part of the book where it would say, this part of time is like undefined or they would, mm-hmm. you know, use words like, Something happened here, but they wouldn't go into it to leave room for whatever they might put mm-hmm. in as headcanon later, which I appreciated. They didn't saturate it with, this is now the new thing. You know, they included the Mandalorian War, briefly, um, which is not a spoiler. That's just what they talk about it. There's a there's a piece of art with it. Um, and it's amazing how they actually leave room for that. So I'm very excited to see what they continue on to support as canon, but it did give me hope to see some extra things maybe being included and old republic and kind of between episodes era and i think this is just something i wanted to point out because this harkens back to our last episode the politics of star wars uh where we talked about is star wars liberal conservative libertarian or other um and we were talking with michael o'connor of retrozapped about that and this 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 helps me get to the point of why i just i i i've always felt like there is a a anti-statist appeal with the empire era. And, and it talks in this book about how Palpatine and Compnor would very actively push against the whims of the individual versus stability and the collective. Um, and that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of a few. And that is a, a popular message going back to uh, Marxism and communism. And it is coming up again in, in this book, again, with, with the Empire. And they even have this thing in the Empire called the Coalition for Progress. It's a bureau within the imperial government, um, part of the Ministry of Information. Um, so, you know, Masamita has his hands in this as well. But they have this thing called the Coalition of Progress, and they are devoted to creating unity um, and getting everybody on the same page and getting rid of people who are not on the same page. And one of those people is Jane Orv Bith, the guy who put this whole book together. Um, he was taken away from, or he was exiled from the empire. And that's when he went to go find the rebellion. But that just kind of, again, takes me back to the coalition for progress. Progress 
is not always good. <laughs> you know, progress is a word that is owned by people to say, we're going forward and we're going forward together or else. And, and I don't mean that to be a knock on progressives, uh, liberals, anything. It's just, again, everyone wants to own the idea of moving forward and, 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 pursuing progress and it's not always a good thing and the empire is another example of that where you just have to be wary always of when people are telling us to pursue progress because sometimes progress can be dark if it's in the wrong hands and you just have to be wary of that and i and i love that bit of the book but i think that kind of takes us to the rise of the rebellion was there anything that was jumping out to you here uh there's only a couple things um not that the end of this book necessarily left me you know disappointed or anything. All of it was great. I, I really enjoyed this one piece that showed X-Wings flying over a city and it questions the integrity of the rebellion by saying, they want peace, they're terrorists. Um, there, there's a, another... The city's exploding in the back. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a city exploding. Um, there's a lot of anti-rebellion pieces and the Empire attempting to you know, rebuild its integrity after the destruction of the first Death Star. There's this very interesting piece that has the uh, rebellion symbol uh, and, and stars kind of outlining it. It says, remember Alderaan. Um, <laughs> you know, this this very directed <laughs> propaganda piece. Yeah. So I, I really, I found this last section to be really interesting because it, it shows that the Rebel Alliance's resources were very limited and because of the regulation on art, it was very hard for them to actually get it publicized. So can we talk about the Compnor artist Koba Dunave for a moment. <laughs> Poor guy. There is this Compnor, <laughs> Compnor approved artist named Koba. And if I understand correctly, sparkly guy, he, he gets charged uh, by Grand Moff Tarkin with sedition for sloppy work on a piece of art. Now the empire that w we learned through this book has incredibly rigid standards for art that comes out uh, under their rule and it has to go to a certain format certain use of colors and certain styles well this guy koba he does a stormtrooper helmet um, as his poster piece and it says help in the rebellion enlist today but the stormtrooper helmet is sparkly and it has sparkles all around the helmet and that got him arrested and charged with sedition poor guy he was just <laughs> trying to he's trying to put some glitz up in his piece man grand, grand moff tarkin <laughs> grand moff tarkin found it to be quote sloppy and he was arrested tarkin is triggered by glitter and no records of dunave were ever found after this event <laughs> So I'd love to, I just would love to see like the, the night before, like Koba's friend, he's just like, Hey, what do you think of this piece, man? Like, Oh, what do you got? Like, Oh, just put some glitter on it. What do you think? Like, Oh no, it's probably fine. <laughs> Next day tries to call him up. Nope. He's just gone. He's, nope. he's um, gone. Koba was him. never seen again because he made stormtroopers, um, too sparkly, too fancy, what too dainty, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he put sparkles on them. So that is a good reminder of how rigid the empire is just in terms of their, their messaging and how strict it has to be and very, their high attention to, um, their image. And there's even, you know, there's pieces that the rebellion puts out as propaganda for, for their movement, which is leaked art that maybe Compnor drafted, but then was not meant to be put out. There's a piece featuring Darth Vader with his hand up in the air and it says Imperial domination. And yep. that was not supposed to go out. Compnor made this piece 
it was rejected um, by the higher ups because it featured Vader. Again, we've learned a lot about Vader in the past couple of years. He is very much behind the scenes. People don't even really know he exists. He's, he's mostly a myth at this point. Um, and and so this piece made him very public. And so it was struck down. Well, the rebellion got their hands on it and the rebellion put out this piece because it shows the empire looking like they are tyrannical. It makes them look bad and they're the ones who made it. Yeah. Um, it's a good political move. WikiLeaks, man. They're just putting out all the art. <laughs> <laughs> so we also have the presence of the Declaration of Rebellion, which is attributed um, to an unknown author, um, but it was largely considered uh, to be a piece that was affiliated with Mon Mothma. Um, it was found on the world of Gorman and I believe the author was Han Hancock. Han Hancock. Bombus Jefferson? Oh. No, I don't know. Uh, so anyways, George. yeah, there was, there was this piece that, that has got circulated throughout the rebellion. It was called the Declaration of the Rebellion. And it starts with, we, the beings of the Rebel Alliance, uh, which I really like the use of the word beings. But it's really long. And it draws on a speech that Mon Mothma gave before she was exiled from the Senate. And I just love some of the little bits of it. You know, it is saying, and this, you can assume Mon Mothma said this on the Senate floor. You have overthrown the chosen leaders of planets, replacing them with moths and governors of your choice. You have raised taxes without the consent of the tax. You have murdered and imprisoned millions without benefit of trial. You've unlawfully taken land and property, blah, 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 blah. To these ends, we pledge our property, our honor, and our lives. It's very reminiscent of how we think about and, 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 and view the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, more so the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Um, but it is, the, it is the statement of rebellion, and it is really cool. So that is one of the pieces that I recommend you get this book just to read through Absolutely. The, the Declaration of Independence of Star Wars. It's very, it's very neat. Oh, totally. And, and it's our niche right there. And for most people listening, you're probably political junkies and Star Wars junkies. So that, that's another great reason to pick up this book because you will be salivating over the little political nuggets that they have inside of this book. I didn't even know there was a Declaration of Star Wars Independence. I didn't know that existed until I read this and it's absolutely <sighs> fantastic. I mean, I mean, just looking again through this, it's it is a statement of how the rebellion views government and how it should be. We believe that galactic government derives its power and right to rule from the consent of the governed. We believe that should the rights of free beings be willfully and malignantly usurped, it is the unalienable right of said beings to alter and abolish said government. This is very familiar to us, and 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 seeing that in Star Wars is incredibly moving to me. Um, can't can't recommend it enough. <laughs> Absolutely. So as with most subjects on the show, we can draw comparisons to our very own history. And as we've been looking at all this propaganda, I'm heavily reminded of propaganda from some of America's previous wars. It's very clear that persuasive art has played a huge part in the past. So we're actually going to be playing a conversation that we had with Brittany Hunter. Brittany was actually trained in archival research at the United States Holocaust Museum and specialized in Nazi propaganda. So we wanted you guys to hear from an expert on this topic. Here it is. All right. And Brittany Hunter, welcome to Beltway Banthas. Uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yes, thank you for having me. So your background is in Nazi art and propaganda. Um, what is propaganda and, and what is the artistic style of this book based on some of the pictures that I sent to you? 
Yeah, well, I think one thing the book did, well, I'll back up first and say what propaganda is. So propaganda is is PR. Um, in fact, that is exactly the field. The, the field of PR now in school used to be called propaganda in the earlier days, and they switched it because PR has a better a better name. Yeah, propaganda is a dirty word, right? Yeah, propaganda is a dirty word. So it had that negative connotation, so they kind of switched it to the study of public relations. So propaganda is basically an advertisement campaign for ideas. It's how to convince someone to believe what you want them to believe with art, with slogans, um, you know, however, however you choose to do that. Now, as far as the book goes, one thing that I really thought was interesting of the pictures you shared with me um, is that it was like American propaganda where it didn't all, it wasn't all the same style or not just American propaganda, any propaganda where you can see there's different phases. There were different, um, different men behind them who were planning them, different themes behind them. So I thought that was, that was pretty um, interesting because that's how real propaganda is as well. How did the artistic styles, and this maybe comes down to the messaging and the themes, differ between the Allies and the Axis? What was kind of the different approaches to messaging on both sides? Yeah, well, one, one uh, thing I like to start with when I talk about this is that, so in America, the birth of propaganda was World War One, and we were actually the first country to really launch a full-blown propaganda campaign for a war that had never been done before. Um, and back then, it was very individualistic. It was it was not about you know what you can do for the motherland. It was what are you going to do? What are you going to tell your kids? What was your role? How did you affect this? So it was very individualized. Which, if you look at our country's roots, we are an individualist nation. So that was that was how you played to that crowd. Now, if you switch gears and you look at Nazi propaganda, you will see none of that individualism. That's not there. It's all about what you can do for the motherland, what you can do for the country. Same with Russia, same with Japanese propaganda. It was all centered on the greater good and not the individual. What is your understanding exactly of how art shapes public opinion? Um, Obviously, we know that it does. I know you focus very much on Goebbels in Germany. Um, Why is art more persuasive than other forms of communication? Yeah, well, and and Germany specifically, you have to realize that most of their population back then was agrarian. They they were rural. They They weren't educated. So if they were to have relied on words, that would have done nothing for them. They needed to rely on the people who were losing jobs in, in rural Germany, and they did that by pictures. So that was, that was kind of their way of, of dumbing it down, so to speak. And also, um, you know, something that was so unique to Nazi propaganda is nobody was immune. They, they targeted everybody. That means children. That means, you know, everyone who was there. So pictures are going to be more appealing. You know, for children, they did board games. They did children's books. So it was kind of genius, though evil genius, because they found a way to cater to everyone, but pictures specifically, you could get your point across without having to get into lengthy, wordy explanations. What do you think that the empire, in in, in this book and some of the pictures that I've sent you from this book, what do you think that they are messaging on? What do you think is their takeaway of why you should be involved in the empire? Definitely more aligned with the Nazi propaganda. I think we had talked about that. We even found those two. I wish I wish we could show the pictures. We found those two, um, those about pulling the strings. Yeah. Uh, and they were almost identical. And you had one that was the empire and one that was Nazi propaganda. So you can see that, one, the artists are definitely pulling on that good versus evil. But that it's very much, you know, the empire needs you. Um, this is, you know, for the greater good. So you see that collectivism um, theme again. Well, the, the pulling the strings one is interesting because that is the that is one that we, we had talked about. It was, I mean, it was very much like anti-Semitic art. From, yes. from Germany. Uh, explain that to me. Like, what was the parallel there? Yeah, so, I mean, as far as World War II goes, you know, it was about, it, it was about that, because that, obviously the Jews were the enemy of, of Goebbels and, and Hitler, and, and they were trying to prove that 
every country that was against them must be controlled by by the Jewish population. Why else would they not be with them? And so you were you see this very very offensive, very stereotypical um, Jewish person behind all these flags, you know, the the ally flags, and he's literally pulling the strings. And uh, we compared that with I think it's it's Job of the Hut, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a, it was a hut controlling a rebel. Uh, yes. Okay. So it's the same kind of thing. So it was it was so funny because it's so blatantly obvious. I thought that was pretty genius in Star Wars how they're <laughs> tying in those historical themes. Yeah, I mean that's what makes the book so familiar. Um, while while being new, and we've never seen in universe Star Wars art like this quite quite like this before. But they they clearly were drawing on artistic styles that are historically relevant to to all of us that we've seen on the History Channel or we've seen in our history books or on TV. Um, I mean, what do you think again should be our takeaway from um, persuasive art? why it's good and maybe why it can also be bad. You know, the thing that always haunted me, and this is kind of what compelled me to get involved in this subject, is I think we, we like to think that we're a lot smarter than we are and that we don't fall for this stuff. Propaganda doesn't have an effect on me. You know, I, I'm too smart for this stuff, but it does. Um, I mean, in every facet of our life, we're, we're being advertised to, uh, and that's all this is. And so I think that was the scariest takeaway um, for me, just how easily we all do fall for this, how it works. And um, it's, it never ceases to baffle me how you can change an entire viewpoint of an entire population based on paintings and, and slogans. So that, that's kind of my biggest takeaway is that we're all vulnerable to it. Well, we do know that from history, and I really appreciate you uh, helping us put a little perspective on this book. Um, it's been a really fun read, but it's also been very haunting because, again, we've seen these things transpire and um, centuries past. So, Brittany, thank you yeah. so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that was just a really great conversation that Stephen had the privilege to have with Brittany. Thank you for doing that. So are there any last thoughts you have or any final statements you want to make about Star Wars propaganda? Well, this this book really just takes me back to my youth as a illustrator. I used to draw a lot, um, you know, painting, uh, charcoal, sketching. Like that was my thing when I was a kid. Um, I've always just had a tick for uh, creativity and, and art. And this really just takes me back there and connects. I feel like my journey as a Star Wars fan, seeing Star Wars art in a way that is not fan made and put out on the internet to, to tell you what people think about Star Wars, having Pablo Hidalgo present to us in universe art from Star Wars makes me feel closer than ever to the world of Star Wars and to the people in it, I actually feel like I understand some of their struggles, their feelings, and and how some of the choices were made, some of the bad choices were made over the course of galactic history. And art in our own world can tell us that. Again, like Brittany was saying, look no further than the 1930s or 40s for art to give you a narrative of how humans went horribly awry but also how humans rose above. I mean, there's there's examples in here about the artists who turned against the empire and applied their work for good. This was really great for me, and I, I hope everyone else really enjoys it. I hope that we've given our listeners a little bit of an insight today as to what is awesome in this book, and there we haven't even scratched the surface. This is a thick book. There's a lot to read here. Um, so I hope that you are excited now to go pick this up this weekend. I couldn't have said it better. I completely agree with Steven. This book is full and filled with amazing information and pieces of art that you can just 
salivate over as a Star Wars nerd as just, or just someone who wants to know a little bit more about the Star Wars universe. So if you guys do want to pick this up, the link will actually be available in our show notes. Again, this book is going to be available October 25th, so feel free to check it out in the show notes, or if you want, go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, and you can feel free to pick it up there. So now we move on to our segment of Bantha Fodder, where Stephen and I take the time to dump the excrement of our minds right onto you guys. Stephen? What's your bantha fodder for the week? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man, Tirso. There has been a... <laughs> Don't laugh. I'm sorry. Don't laugh, Tirso. This isn't funny. <laughs> this, it's this funny isn't... in the way that I might go into an ins- insane asylum soon funny, you know? <sighs> there has been a lot of scary, demeaning, and damaging things said over the course of this election. Um, I don't think America is going to recover uh, from what has been nothing short of a trauma for well into a decade. An entire generation of kids and young voters are being shaped in this environment, and it is devoid of principle or pride um, in the American way of public discourse. And and not in a way, not, not to say that it has always been rosy. It hasn't. We know that um, from history, but we also know that this is a new level and with social media and TV, it is amplified like never before. Our kids see it in the living room, like the horrible things that are being said and, and, and being replayed on computers. It's, it's everywhere that you look now. So all of the hate and nastiness spewed into this election, to be clear, by Donald Trump is not as scary to me, however, as his repeated and now staple claim that the election is rigged. Um, which we, we've joked about the line a couple of times, but I mean, my God, how dangerous is this? He has committed himself to an effort to delegitimize our entire process in a way that trumps even his effort to delegitimize Obama's presidency on the basis of his citizenship. And yes, I did get a pun in there. Trump's. Thank you. Applaud. I'll, I'll put in some applause effects for you. Thank you. you I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, these things, they're connected, though. And, and I'm worried about what you get after priming 30 to 40 percent of the country for eight to 12 years with the idea that the country has been stolen from them, not once, but twice. And we don't trust our government anymore. We don't trust our police anymore. We sure as heck don't trust the media anymore. We don't trust our neighbors anymore. And by that, I mean like free range kids and the whole idea that you could just let your kids roam their neighborhoods together and have adventures and that they would be safe and not end up on law and order SVU. And I know that's like a really dark piece of commentary, but I feel it every day. Like even as a parent myself, like I find myself suspicious of people who I shouldn't be suspicious of when I leave them with my daughter because I watch too much television. We don't trust each other anymore. And I know from talking to other people that I'm not the only parent who feels that way. And it's just because of the way culture has gotten to be. So on top of all that distrust that has become so normal, popularizing the idea that the elections we have in this country are not legitimate, I I just... I don't know where that's going to take us. I don't think we have a huge Trump base in our audience, so I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, But I I don't want people to be distracted by some of the short-term shiny objects that Trump dangles in front of us in this election. And and I want us to talk a little bit more about the long-term rot that he is creating um, 
just by demeaning the simple act of voting and its 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 importance in this process. Um, it really just makes me think of Hux in the First Order, the seething, blind rage towards a republic that stole something from them that is not rightfully theirs, and they are going to take it back. Um, I've just been dwelling on this a whole lot, and it's that anger and that blind rage, and we're going down a real dangerous road if we allow this election is rigged stuff to, to, to continue. And I just want folks to think about that um, a little bit going forward as we wind down this election and try to heal a lot of the wounds that have been inflicted uh, on everybody in the country. Um, again, this has been a national trauma and we're going to have to work together to heal it. Well, I, I apologize to our listeners because this is going to be a bit of a, a piggyback band fodder as well. I, I can't, it's hard for me to, to come up with anything light this week. Usually I can do a pretty good job of being distracted by just the idiocy of this year's election, but it's at the point now where in a couple of weeks, one of them will be elected. And I am just so enraged by the, just the different stories that have come out recently and just the way that it has saturated our country now. And like you said, like, it's not like all this happens, someone gets elected and everything just goes back to normal. Like that's not going to happen. It, it's like infected everyone with, like you said, distrust. It, it almost seems like religious people are now the weird ones and the conspirators are like the, the gods of society. Um, and that's a strange reality where like suspicion is the new religion conspiracy is is the new voice uh, of the people and it just concerns me like steven said i'm actually not sure like what the our demographic is for listeners but each and every one of you are political people and and you like diving into politics so so for i don't think this is a strange you know bantha fodder for us but mm -hmm. it seriously has been like to the point where i just like i don't know what to think about any candidate. I don't know what to like believe media. All the sources are so saturated with opinion pieces. You know, mm. it's like, this is why Donald Trump is a terrible candidate. This is why Hillary has nothing to offer. There's just no information anymore. It's just, we have, we've lost information in this world. And so that's my extremely negative and frustrated band of fodder. We apologize. You don't have a crack powder jackpot or anything to really lighten it up. <sighs> I have oh. something to lighten it up to yourself. What do you got for, for our thing. listeners? Okay. You got sunshine and rainbow in your yeah, pocket right I now? Have, I have a little sunshine and rainbow. Got a little sunshine in my pocket. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> our listeners are like, oh, I'm just going to relax, take a break from the election. They listen to the Beltway Bands podcast. We're just like, we hate everybody. Band the fodder. Good night. Uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, no, what, what do you got for our listeners, Stephen? Yeah, I have a I have a Facebook post um, from a listener of the show named Kemper. Uh, he posted about us on the Full of Sith uh, Facebook group page. Really great forum for discussion, and he had some really nice words about the show, and it that uplifted me. So I hope it uplifts you, Tierso, and makes you feel better. All right, after give, give, that me your, give me your spiel. best shot. Kemper said <laughs> the past few months. Um, most of my podcast time has been spent on political podcasts, which dwindled um, my Star Wars podcast listening, except for a course full of Sith. Uh, but guys, I found the perfect intersection of the two. It's called Beltway Banthas. The last one was a discussion of whether or not Star Wars is a liberal opus. And they just also released an interview they had with Eric Geller of Politico. And if you did not know, a previous Star Wars podcaster. 
Um, so anyways, if you're looking for something uh, to listen to while you wait for your next full of Sith to drop, I encourage you to go give it a listen. Also, uh, if in case it needs to be said, I do not know them personally or professionally. This is just my personal enthusiasm for their show based on the episodes I've listened to in the past two days. So thank you, Kemper. We really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing the, uh, the word about Beltway Banthas. And we really appreciate anybody who does that in the form of a review online or a, just a kind message. It, uh, it really makes our day. Yeah, I mean, that, that really did encourage me. And, and I guess the one note I could end on that, that's good is that I, th- I think right now I'm really encouraged to see movies like Rogue One because I'm seeing a group of people being inspired by hope. And that's something that I don't think I personally have right now uh, in our country and just in, in a lot of things. So I, I think being able to see people who can come together and watch a movie about hope and a rebellion built on hope, a, a faction built on hope, is something that we all need. So I'm really glad that we not only have Star Wars, but we have this show to be able to talk about the real world things, but be able to rope it back into a world that we all like to escape to. So Stephen, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up today? Yeah, just uh, one more thing. For anyone who actually happens to live in the general Virginia area, we are going to be hosting our first Beltway Banthas panel at Virginia Comic-Con on October 30th in Richmond, Virginia. So if you're going to be going to that event, look for us on Sunday um, of that sh- of that con. We're going to be hosting our panel on Star Wars Goes to Washington. It will be myself, Tierso, and our new co-host of the show, Suara Saleh. And he will be joining us for our next episodes to get to know him a little bit better. Um, but we're going to be talking about how Star Wars has impacted politics in Washington and basically how politicians um, use Star Wars for their own ends to relate to people and how it uh, helps them and, and guides them in their own careers. So we'll be talking about that in Richmond, Virginia, October 30th. If you happen to be there, we look forward to seeing you. Wonderful. And if you guys want to get in contact with the show, feel free to email us at beltwaybanthas at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at beltwaybanthas. Steven, where can people find you? Would love to get a tweet from you at at Stephen underscore Kent 89. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N underscore Kent 89. Tierso, where can they find you? You guys can always find me on Instagram and on Twitter at It's Just Tierso. You guys can also find me on my YouTube channel doing comedy by just searching Tierso Perez. And this has been another great episode of Beltway Banthas. We want to thank you guys so much for listening and may the force be with you. Laugh it up, fuzzball.